Well, it'll just be you, me, and Nick. Spencer, you always get all the answers. I'm kind of a big deal. Whenever you hear the music, Colin, take it away. It's time for the Sports Mix on Talk Radio WRNR and TV 10. Let's mix it up with a breakdown of some local, regional, and national sports with Spencer Dupuy, Nick Verzellini, and Colin McLaughlin. Welcome into this Thursday, August 17th edition of the Sports Mix on Talk Radio WRNR and TV 10. Brought to you in part by the Brown Funeral Home and Cremations, Robert Fields and Sons, a family-owned full-service funeral home that has proudly served our area since 1880. Spencer Punick, Verzellini, Colin McLaughlin, Dylan Bishop, happy to have you with us here as uh, 1215 will be joined by a special guest here as uh, the news came out yesterday via WVVV's Eric Little. He sat down with new uh, WVSSAC Executive Director David Price who took it took over for Bernie Dolan. Uh, basically, the SSAC has, ha- has, quote, several open investigations into recruiting that has to do with uh, the transfer, the one-time transfer rule here in the state of West Virginia. We'll talk about that here at twelve fifteen with WVVV's Eric Little. Uh, but guys, yesterday we were out at Spring Mills practice. Unfortunately, Coach Josh Sims was unable to be there. I believe he has a family emergency, so thoughts and prayers out with him. Uh, but we got a unique look in EPAC All Access, where we were able to talk to the offensive coordinator Marcus Law, former WVU player, and then Buddy Hessen, the defensive coordinator. Uh, a lot of people in the area know him as being former defensive coordinator at Martinsburg High School for all those years. Uh, so it was a pretty interesting EPAC All Access that will come out early next week. Yeah, our show EPAC All Access originated here on TV 10. And, you know, I think that we did get to see a good look at Spring Mills um, yesterday. You know, it was kind of unique to have the offense and defensive coordinators. I liked getting that perspective from both sides of the ball which is a little bit different than what a head coach is going to give you. Obviously, he's going to tell you about both sides, but he's not necessarily the one calling those plays or whatever the case may be. So it it was still good interviews, good content, and, uh, you know, that was exciting. And I think overall I'm starting to buy into Spring Mills a little bit more for this upcoming season. I think at the beginning of the week I was kind of of hesitant on where I wanted to put them. And, you know, I think – they're right there with some of these teams or they have the potential to be right there uh and week one will tell us a lot more but i think this team you know has a great chance to uh do some big things this year and potentially be one of one of the playoff teams out of the epac it was a very energetic high energy intense practice as soon as we got there they were already going and you could tell they wanted that they're hungry i guess is what i'm trying to say for this season uh when we sat down talked with max anderson for a little bit he said it during the interview i believe if the game was tomorrow we'd be already ready to go that's how hungry they are for this season and hungry they are to go up against jefferson a measuring stick game for this program to see how much they've truly grown this offseason and if they're able to pull off the upset against jefferson where things can go from there this season yeah i I think i came away from practice yesterday kind of more optimistic about them kind of like what nick said i still kind of slot them in that number four spot maybe number three i mean i think we it's still more of a question mark at quarterback specifically for for Musselman, although they always have a good program pedigree to you know retool when guys leave but i i kind of think that you know they could get themselves up into that you know two or three spot in the epac if they if i think it would take some disappointing seasons from say jefferson Musselman, uh even hedgesville as well but i i think they can be in play for that you know, if not the top team in that second tier, if, the, if Jefferson kind of ends up showing itself as the top of that second tier, then they could slot in right number two. I think there's a chance. Yeah, I, I think that that's huge. And we kind of talked about it on the beginning of the show yesterday for the intro that you'll see beginning of next week. If they're able to flip some games, it's going to change the way the EPAC's going to look. They're going to have Jefferson week one that's going to be huge. But I think Max Anderson's third season as starting quarterback in his junior year is going to be huge. And we talked with Coach Law about that, and here's the sound bite from that. 
first of all, that relationship piece is huge. Once you have officer coordinator and a quarterback on the same page, it just makes things go. And for, like, for me and Max, it's not necessarily just on the football field, but he's a kid that through the hallways in the school, he's going to be a leader. And that just part just makes it awesome to see your quarterback being a leader in different spots. Him and I being on the same page is another part that hopefully we'll continue to grow that part on as well. And Colin asked that question on EPAC All Access, and I think that was a good question to ask was, you know, it's both their third years in the program as uh, Coach Law comes over from being the, uh, I believe, the former head coach at Trinity Christian in Morgantown as he restarted that program back in, I believe, 2019 from what I saw. Uh, But he comes to work with Coach Sims once again. And uh, I think that it's going to be huge that both of them are entering their third year and just the the fact that they're both comfortable around each other. Uh, But then we moved over to the defensive side of the ball, talked with uh, defensive coordinator Buddy Hessen. He's entering his second season as he was brought on last season after taking a couple years off from coaching. Uh, And he thinks that, uh, you know, getting this being the second year, he's seeing the guys kind of start to adapt to the playing style that he wants in his defense. Number one, it's just that year of growth, new system formed or second year in it. So we're not quite where I want us to be, but their understanding is a lot better of, of what they're supposed to do in, in each and everything we do defensively. And I think that's huge because I do believe they run a 3-3-5, three, three, uh, kind of a variation of what Castillo, is I'm saying that right, Jeff? Castillo. Castillo was running. I believe that uh, he was uh, Coach Hessen's defensive coach or yeah, defensive coach when he played at Musselman, or excuse me, Martinsburg and and at Shepherd and along those things. Uh, but uh, I think it's going to be huge for them with the fact that they have two great coordinators at Spring Mills is going to help them take a major jump from where they were the last two years. Yeah, and I, I want to mention because you you mentioned Max Anderson as the third year starter. That's the only quarterback in the EPAC that you can say that about. Jefferson's got Her- uh, Dylan Harridge coming back for a second year as the starter. Murphy Clement and Dalton Harper at Martinsburg and Hedgesville got snaps at quarterback last year, but they didn't start unless yeah. they really needed to. So that's the that's their first full year of starters. Uh, Ian Fleming at Musselman is, you know, we can assume that he played quarterback at his previous school, but first year at Musselman. And then Ryan Wentz at Washington, as well as a first-year starter. So Max Anderson has the is the now we thought of him as a young guy. Now he's the most experienced quarterback in the EPAC. Yeah, I mean Murphy's kind of qualifies for that because he did play, you know, a lot more his sophomore year. Him and Ezra split a lot more reps than uh, last season. It's true. Yeah, but um, I would agree with you the you know taking every rep hasn't been murphy's job and especially last year right you know, murphy, coming off of the injury and ezra got the majority especially of especially last year obviously i was i wasn't here for the sophomore year of murphy clement but uh last year murphy's role as a quarterback was like 90 percent direct snaps to him I mean, he threw some passes every once in a while but he was wide receiver running back also like more so of a playmaker yeah i mean i, I would agree with what you were saying there i was just mm-hmm kind of adding another point yeah yeah we will air that epac all access with spring mills early next week but we will complete our lap around the epac when we get on the road again today we down the road at martinsburg high school as we see what they've got going on and murphy clement now forming into a true quarterback one as he's kind of we mentioned split the reps there but after this two minute break we will talk with wvvv's eric little he's set down with new wvssac executive director david price to talk about uh, one of the issues was recruiting here with this new transfer portal first segment brought to you in part by parsons ford ken parsons ford and martinsburg they became number one by making you number one first go to parsonsford.com for more again on the other side of this break we joined by eric little to talk about his interview with david price you're tuned in to the sports mix on talk radio wrnr tv 10 With four new car dealerships and four used car dealerships in three states, Parsons is the largest used car and fastest-growing new car dealer in the tri-state area. Take Parsons Ford with huge savings on hundreds of new Fords, financing from 0%, Parsons' goal of financing for all, and Parsons' famous above-market trade-in allowances that help make Parsons number one for used cars, too. See why so many won't buy anywhere but Parsons Ford in Martinsburg. We became number one by making you number one first. Parsons. 
It's the excitement of NCAA Division II football on TV10 featuring the Shepherd University Rams. He'll throw it. It's intercepted by Harrison. Dante Harrison is Mr. Touchdown on defense. Join us on Saturday, September 2nd, as the Rams kick off the 2023 season against Southern Connecticut State at Rams Stadium. Kickoff is set for noon with pregame coverage beginning at 11.30 a.m. right here on TV10 and WRNR-TV on YouTube. Ever try to collect on an insurance claim? Perhaps a homeowner's claim, auto accident, or fire? Insurance companies collect money from you for protection should something bad happen. And when it does, they don't want to pay or they offer too little. At Mansion Ferretti, we have an attorney who worked defending insurance companies and knows all the dirty tricks they play to deny or lowball your claim. Call us today for help in getting what you really deserve. Mansion Ferretti, when you need justice. If you or someone you know suffers from the disease of addiction, help is available from the Berkeley County Quick Response Team with peer recovery coaches and support promptly to the homes of those who've recently experienced an overdose. This collective effort towards recovery brings resources and services to the community, including naloxone and treatment options. Call 304-267-1313 or visit the Berkeley County Recovery Resource Center at 800 Emmett Rouse Drive, Martinsburg. The Berkeley County Quick Response Team is funded through a DHHR grant with the Berkeley Morgan County Health Department. You're tuned into the Sports Mix with Spencer and Nick on Talk Radio WRNR 106.5 FM, AM 740 and TV10. Welcome back to this edition of the Sports Mix on Talk Radio WRNR and TV10. Spencer, Nick, Colin, and Dylan, happy to have you with us. We're now joined on the phone by WVVV's Eric Little. Hey, Eric, how's it going? I'm doing well. How are you guys today? We're doing well. What was on Twitter last uh, yesterday, looking at some things, saw your interview with uh, the new SSAC dire- Executive Director, David Price, came up, and some interesting things, tidbits come out of that interview, including uh, the biggest one is that they have several ongoing investigations about recruiting allegations due to the new transfer rule. Uh, what were some things you got out of that interview? Well, for a long time, when you approached the topic of recruiting or transfers around the SSAC, you'd almost get a head-in-the-sand kind of approach. And then two big things happened. The first was the legislation that came this past spring that opened the door for one-time transfers. And the second was the retirement of Bernie Dolan and David Price stepping into that executive director role after Bernie's retirement. And so now you've got a new executive director at the SSAC, and you've got a rule and regulation which was not theirs. Uh, Usually the SSAC is charged with implementing rules and regulations that were either theirs or that they either created or that they've implemented uh, from the NFHS, the National Federation of High Schools. And suddenly you've got something that they did not come up with, they don't necessarily, they didn't necessarily want, and now you've got somebody new in the position of enforcing that. So I don't think they're in an era now where they can really stick their head in the sand about the fact that people are transferring schools. I mean, it's some of the comments uh, and some of the quote tweets on that, really, it's a huge surprise, a huge thing you're uncovering there. But, you know, the story is not that people are, are transferring schools or have been for a while and that uh, tampering has been going on. It's that the SSAC is talking a lot more openly about it now than they ever have before. Hey, Eric, this is Nick Verzellini. Uh One of the interesting things that I took away from the interview that I didn't necessarily know before is that uh, with these new sanctions that they're planning to put in place, uh, anybody connected to the program, so even like a parent, uh, would be, I guess, breaking the rules. How could they really prove that a parent or a kid said something to another kid, especially if, you know, AAU and travel and, and Legion baseball and all that other stuff? Well, I think it's like anything else in our uh, 21st century world. It's going to have to be screenshots, DMs, screenshots of text messages, voicemails, things like that. So uh, that's the evidence that I would imagine is going to be the smoking gun in any kind of investigation. But you're right. Um, 
I, I would venture to say that the vast majority of transfers and the vast majority of people that want to move or the kids that want to change schools and go to a different program, it's spawned out of wanting to play with kids they play travel ball with, they play AAU with. And so it's stuff like peer pressure. It's not some coach. However, there are stories that circulate about coaches that, you know, will send text messages, will slide into the DMs and and make references to, you know, you should come over here or so, or so on and so forth. And I, I think now uh, this I, – I took the interview yes, or I took the interview this week as maybe a shot across the bow from the SSAC as if to say to some of these coaches and some of these actors, which can include the parents, which theoretically could include players on the teams, that, you know, if, if you don't get this stuff on the up and up, if you don't clean up your act a little bit, uh, we have some we have some sanctions that that may come down on some of you. Hey, 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 Eric, it's uh, Dylan Bishop here. So I just wanted to know, in in your opinion, uh, when this comes to the the size and scale of you know where these sort of recruiting violations, if you want to call them, uh, how like how many schools do you think we'll actually see in the end? get punished because of this? What sort of punishments do you think we're actually going to end up seeing after the talk with David Price that you had? I don't know that there'll be a lot of schools that have sanctions levied against them, and that's simply because that is not an office uh, which is which has investigation as the primary thing on their plate. Their job is the education of all the extracurricular activities in the state and the things that come with it. They're dealing with athletic directors, principals, coaches, um, yeah, referees and officials, things like that. So the time and the resources with which they would have to investigate are going to be somewhat limited. But I do think that acknowledging that it happens is a big step forward. And I think if some discipline happens to some of the bigger, the more prominent or the more egregious cases, I think that's going to be enough to put a damper on some of it. They don't have, like I said, they don't have the time, the resources, or the energy to go after every instance of recruiting, every instance of tampering, where coaches saying you're doing something inappropriate to get somebody over the program. Because if you had to be honest, who would be guilty of that? You'd probably have to say, in all these transfer cases, 85 to 90 percent of the time, somebody has been guilty of something uh, along those lines. But I think uh, I almost liken it to a pickoff toss in baseball. You know, the pitcher keeps the runner honest just to let him know he's paying attention. I think you're going to see a couple of the bigger cases maybe result in some sanctions just to make sure people are paying attention and just to make sure that they stay on the up and up. I think you're going to quash a good bit of that if there are a couple of notable cases. And now the the other half of your question as far as sanctions, uh, that is a question I asked in a follow-up email. I don't have it in the interview, but a follow-up email, I asked what kinds of things uh, could schools face. Uh, and the things that were mentioned to me were suspension of coaches, uh, loss of flex days. And I would imagine if a student-athlete is involved one way or the other, um, he said uh, possible um, um, impacts on the eligibility of student-athletes. So if a student is at, has been found to have acted in some kind of an untoward fashion when it comes to recruiting or being recruited, so, again, I don't know that these um, nuclear options, but at the same time, just enough of a slap, I think, to, that if word gets around that this is going on, that, that these, uh, that this, uh, I, there's some bite back from the SSAC, I think that would kind of add some teeth to it and be enough to deter uh, this from becoming the wild, wild west, as it very well could be. Eric Colin McLaughlin here. Thank you for joining us this afternoon. My question, kind of a two-parter here, and it might be a quick answer. And if that is the case, then I'll move on to a third thing. But my two-parter for you is, uh, since the entire interview hasn't been played yet and won't be for another few days, was it revealed uh, for any of these investigations if they're all recent investigations coming because of this transfer rule? Or are any of them dating back to maybe previous years for any programs? And then the second one is, were any programs named specifically? No one was named specifically, and I did not expect that because, again, the, the phrase he used was active investigations, and there was no implication 
as to a timeline on those, but the fact that the conversation was along, we were in the area of transfers and, and things like that, uh, it would lead me to believe that these are fairly recent and uh, have come about since the rules changed. So while I was listening to your interview yesterday, it kind of brought up just the fact that uh, something that Nick kind of touched on is like parents of people. If you're a parent, from what I understood was if you said, oh, you should come to to play for our team, that's still considered a way of kind of tampering or, or could be a recruiting aspect in there. How, I know from up here I've heard rumblings that someone's been turned in for recruiting a specific player during this transfer time period. Um, it could be any of those things that they use to provide a reason for the recruitment. Yeah, I think anything that, as they say in uh, in pop culture nowadays, if you can if you can show the receipts, um, that's going to be, I think, the smoking gun you'd be looking for to prove any kind of a, a recruiting case. Uh, and, and I don't know that parents or the, the crackdown might not come so hard on parents as it would on. Um, a coach, but at the same time, you know, the the way it was explained to me, you know, it's anybody that's associated with a program. And if you've got a kid that plays on the program, you're very clearly associated with a program. And so I think that's part of the way things go when you try to open things up to, um, and I guess they were trying to create some kind of a a rule that's akin to what you see in college uh, to go back to the issue at large, what it was is a state legislator tacked it on uh, to the Hope Scholarship Bill in, Mar- in um, the spring in the legislature because the Hope Scholarship Bill wasn't going to fail. So now all of a sudden uh, you've got this issue that a, a legislator can kind of hang his hat on, and now the SSAC has to try to figure out what to do with it. Uh, so it, it's – Oh, there are some good, the, the, the good things that have come from it, and there are some negative ones. We've talked about a lot of the negative ones. You know, how about maybe somebody that will be buried on the bench at a big school, uh, transferring schools to a place where they get to play? Um, it's going to open up opportunities like that, and maybe not even so much play to get noticed by a college coach or anything like that. Just playing because you, you'd rather spend that time in high school playing instead of sitting on a bench. So I think you're going to see things like that come of it too, where people just uh, are able to participate uh, in ways that they wouldn't. Maybe they have some creative differences with the coach, uh, or maybe they would be buried on a bench somewhere else. But and now there's opportunity elsewhere. But you know, uh, along with that comes the the underside, the dark underside of uh, of the transfer rule. Eric, with all the schools around, you've seen a decent amount of transfers and many different sports and all the schools are relatively close so it kind of makes sense uh how much have you seen an impact of new transfers in the parkersburg area not a ton but again i think areas like yours areas like the i-64 corridor where you've got a lot of schools of similar size and relatively close proximity those are the areas where this is going to have the biggest impact because again you know, you could you could keep the same address and go to about three or four different high schools. And so, you know, maybe you got a boy that's good in this sport and a girl that's good in something different, and they go to two different high schools. And you, stuff like that. And it's, I'm sure that kind of thing probably happens. And, and so there'll be choices like that. If you want to join a program uh, that maybe plays or takes this sport a little bit more seriously than other schools in the area, it, it certainly opens up the door to that. But here we're not seeing it a ton. Uh, the, the most notable case here um, was uh, Parkersburg South's Robert Shockey. Uh, he was a quarterback last year for a team that was a state runner-up, and he was on the wrestling team, a state tournament wrestler, and he's going to be competing for Cabell Midland this fall. So, you know, that's uh, somebody leaving the area. Uh, but uh, in an area like this, you know, let's – Take Wood County, for instance, uh, in the public school scene. You've got Parkersburg South, you've got Parkersburg High School, and then you've got Williamstown, which is a Class A powerhouse. You know, there are a lot of people who are trying to figure out, you know, will the Big Reds and the Patriots raid Williamstown, or uh, will Williamstown uh, 
become a destination. Uh, and I don't think so much you're going to see uh, the bigger schools in an area rate the small schools. I think it's going to be based on the quality and the caliber of a program. And like I said, a, a school will become attractive to a potential transfer based on what they can offer that student athlete. You know, like if football is your thing and your kid's a football player, that's going to be a lot more attractive to you than if your kid's a swimmer and they don't have a swimming program, stuff like that. You know, uh, it, I, don't, I don't see this being a big school versus a small school thing. I, I see it program versus program, opportunity versus opportunity. Uh, Eric, when it, this is kind of a two-part question here. Um, first of all, do you know anything in, in terms of the details of why Robert Shockey decided to to transfer schools? And uh, whether you do or not, the second part of my question would be, have you noticed any other transfers across the state? Obviously, you keep up with, with high school football around the state. Uh, outside of that transfer itself that has stuck out to you, from, j- just purely from an on-field perspective, even? From what I have heard, uh, Shockey's transfer was based on wrestling reasons and based for wrestling. Um, his father and uh, Luke Sammons, um, the Cabell Midland head coach, they both went to high school together. So there is some familiarity there, and I don't know how much that had to do with it. But from what I've been told, wrestling was the driver of that as far as Shockey goes. Uh, now, transfer-wise, from – what I'm hearing, Hurricane has an influx of players on their roster from different places. They had one of the better quarterbacks in the state last year rise, or as a sophomore. So it'll be a rising junior. And from what I'm hearing, he's not their starting quarterback this year. They've had a transfer come in from out of state and play that position. So um, I think there will be there are some – and another one that, that I've heard about a lot is uh, for Doddridge County received a couple of kids from – or three kids from Tyler Consolidated – and at least one, if not more, from Ritchie County. And so I think, you know, schools that are close in proximity like that, if there's one program that's stronger than, than another, I think that's going to be um, – I think that's going to um, kind of be a driver of some of that uh, if it's easy to to move about and maybe not even change address. But, again, I think some schools – We'll see this as a as an opportunity to be aggressive and trying to maybe build deeper rosters in certain programs. And I think that was maybe the impetus behind this move from the SSAC or or wanting to get out for that message to say, hey, you know, to, to borrow exactly from David Price, the transfer rule has changed, but the recruiting rules have not. Uh, those are still the same as they ever were and they ever have been, and they have always. Um, limited the involvement of coaches and people that are tied to the program they've always limited them from being active in that pursuit it was something that really wasn't pursued a lot before and now in this new atmosphere with with so much going on and transfers becoming so much more prevalent it may be something that starts getting enforced a little tighter Eric, uh, we've been talking to some coaches trying to get their thoughts on this transfer rule, and I believe it was Brian Thomas, the head coach of Musselman, that kind of talked to us a little bit about how everything's really trickled down from NFL to college and now to high school, and we'll probably continue to see that. So my question for you is, do you see this trickle-down effect going maybe as far as, dare I say it, recruiting being allowed in high school and maybe even NIL deals? Well, NIL deals are a thing that's happening in uh, some different places. I know that, that was, um, that's been talked about a lot at state legislature levels in other states. Um, and that wouldn't be out of the, the realm, I wouldn't think. Um, as, for rec- as for actively recruiting the hallways of another school, I, I don't know that a lot of those individuals that have the time or the ability to do that, and there's certainly not the money involved the way there is at the college level where you've got boosters and and nil trusts and things like that you know i i don't see you know uh what you know whatever the muscleman version of the country roads trust would be you know maybe the apple cider fund i i don't know just maybe it's being goofy and creative and spitballing here for you but i don't know that there'd be the time and the energy to put into something like that but um i do think people are going to maybe be a little bit more out there in terms of welcoming people into the program 
and uh, being willing to listen when somebody wants to move into your district. Um, but it just goes back to the idea that, you know, there are so many people that bemoan the fact that, uh, that the kids grow up so fast these days. Well, there are some of these regulations that when you put into place, that only accelerates that progress. You know, why don't we just let kids be kids, you know, and, and not try to put so many expectations on them and so many or, or so many burdens on them, you know, and now all of a sudden, you know, they are being approached with, you should come play school or come play your ball here, or come play for us. That's a lot to put on a 14 to 18 year old. I remember when the transfer portal came in in college, and this has always been my opinion on it. When the transfer portal came into play in college, there were a lot of concerns that there would be bad faith actors, you know, that would be in the ears of 18 to 22 year olds you know, who legally are adults. But as we all know, when you're 18 to 22, you're not always the best equipped to make good decisions for your future. And now you're going to ask the same of 14 to 18 year olds. That's that's an even bigger stretch for me. And that's something that I talked about in the first episode of my high school football podcast this season. I went in depth on that topic in the first episode, and the, the interview we're, we're talking about today airs in episode three. So, so in my, I see both sides of the argument on it. But like I said, I just want to see who it is that steps up for the kids here, and who it is that uh, just steps back and, and lets them just be kids from time to time. We'll get you out on this one, Eric. Uh, away from this discussion here, what have you seen uh, preseason-wise from uh, both those schools up in Parkersburg? Well, for Parkersburg South, again, they're replacing a quarterback they didn't expect to replace. Um, Gage Wright um, will come in as running back. Uh, he continues to hold that down and will be uh, a favorite for a lot of statewide awards. With Robert Shockey's departure uh, to Cabell Midland, Turner Garrettson will step in and play quarterback. Uh, for the Patriots this year. So Garrison's a quarterback. Gage Wright returns as a running back. Cyrus Traw, who was the best skill player in the area by far, is at Youngstown State now. So uh, it'll be Tristan Walker leading a core of younger receivers, but they've got some athletes out from other sports. The cupboard's far from Barrett Parkersburg South. Uh, some guys moved around. Some guys have matured and stepped up. So I think they'll be competitive again this year, and they got a chance to be one of the final eight teams standing this year. As for Parkersburg High, uh, they're in their second year under head coach Matt Kimes. He's a graduate of Parkersburg. Um, from the days when they were a perennial favorite to go to Wheeling Island in the Super 6 in the late 90s. Uh, they were 4-6 and six last year, basically by winning the games they were supposed to win, and they didn't win any of the games they weren't supposed to win. He's got a quarterback returning in David Parsons this year. There's some experience on the line. The depth is better this year than it was last year, so they have high hopes as well. And uh, it's not out of the realm to see them going 5-5, five and 6-4. Five, and four. Uh, The MSAC isn't as tough as it used to be, um, largely because you know the, the gap has widened between the haves and the have-nots in that conference. It's where maybe you're going to see the transfer rule really blow some things up in some of these conferences. Uh, there definitely will be separation between the haves and the have-nots. and So you got maybe the top three or four teams in the Mountain State Athletic Conference that are picks to go deep into the postseason, and you've got the bottom three or four teams that really are going to struggle to get to the season. It didn't used to be that way, but I think that's uh, part of the, the way things are now with this transfer rule. So not out of the realm to see two playoff teams. Again, at the small school level, Williamstown is going to be a state championship favorite again, looking for their second straight. So it should be a good year for high school football in these parts. And, Eric, if somebody from around here wants to hear your full interview with David Price, how can they find that? They can find that when it airs Sunday morning on our station, V96.9. It streams at V969radio.net. And uh, if there's demand for it, I may – archive it we don't archive our our stuff and uh that's something we probably should have been doing for a while but uh, if there's demand for it i definitely will try to host that somewhere and uh, put that out there but right now uh live stream 8 a.m sunday morning v969radio.net all right eric thanks for the time and i would imagine we're going to be talking to you here in november when the playoffs start to ramp up hey looking forward to it
Have a great season, guys. You as well. Eric Little, WVVV out in Parkersburg, the broadcaster for uh, Parkersburg South Football. Got a lot of interesting information in there, uh, more than kind of was probably in the interviews, guys. But uh, before we hit the break, uh, your thoughts on what Eric had to say. I didn't get, obviously didn't get a lot because he's, they're not going to give you specifics. Yeah, and, I mean, he doesn't work for the SSAC, so he's just kind of going off of his opinion. I mean, it's it's what you kind of expected to hear, I think, for the most part. It's what, and he brings up a lot of the concerns I think all of us have with the transfer rule. You know, I don't think we want to see recruiting in high school football. Um, you know, these are kids, and obviously there's going to be some sort of recruiting, and I don't think that any of these transfers happen without somebody saying something to somebody about, hey, you could be great at this school. Yeah, once I heard from David Price in his interview with Eric, that parents and players, you know, other teammates on on teams count as, you know, people within the span of the organization of the team or whatever, however you want to put it, and that counts as people who cannot do recruiting, then my immediate thought was, oh, that's probably happened a thousand times by this point from people that probably don't even know that they're not supposed to be doing that. Like other players and parents, I'm sure there's a good bit of them that have been talking to players about coming to schools, not even knowing that they they weren't a part of the groups of people that weren't supposed to be doing that. Yeah, and I mean, I think it's hard to, to say somebody is recruiting. I don't know, because you could go back. Like, this is such an area here where people could obviously move because there's new communities opening up in this area and they want to move to a different house. They want to live in, you know, maybe they want a newer house. Like there's a lot of things that could happen here and you could go back to like, uh, if a player played with somebody in youth leagues, what if they're really good friends or somebody's family member uh, or, you know, not family member, but somebody in relation to them went to that high school. There's just a lot of things that are kind of unclear and that could, I guess, considered one way be recruiting, but in another way, not recruiting at all for certain certain situations. Uh, but in the Eastern Panhandle, there's so many new houses being built. Well, we want to move to a new house. We, we want to, you know, but then you move into this area. Well, you're, you're stuck going here. Well, now that this one-time transfer rule is a thing, I want to go back to the school system that I re- – or the school that would have aligned to where I was originally going. Like, I mean, we're talking about new schools here. Uh, if you lived in, you know, Charlestown, but you originally, when you were growing up, everyone was going to Jefferson because there was no Washington High School in, you know, 2004, 5, 6, and 7. Same, same with Hedgesville and Spring Mills. Yeah. I mean, that's the other part of it is how do you enforce it? How do you prove that someone switched schools because they were recruited for sports versus just moving or just wanting to go to the different school for school? It's clear that uh, this conversation has stirred up a lot in our comments section. And uh, there's definitely a lot going on in the southern end of the state more than this area, I feel like. When it comes to potential recruiting, and we just heard about it, Robert Shockey, not saying he was recruited. There's no, you know, I'm not accusing them of recruiting, but there's kind of some questions, as Eric Little mentioned, with the fact that Shockey's dad went to high school with Salmons. You know, there's a lot of a lot of question marks in there, but I feel like this is right now a bigger problem in the southern end of the state than it is in this end of the state. We've seen some transfers. Right, so when, you, when you hear... Parkersburg South's quarterback is now Cabell Midland's quarterback. Which is immediately a flag goes up in your mind. Like, well, what's why? (laughs) Yeah, like that's a pretty far distance. It's not like somebody from Washington High School transferring to Spring Mills. That's only a thirty-five minute drive. Yeah, I believe we looked it up. It's two hours. Is that what you said, Nick? Yeah, it's about two hour drive from Parkersburg to Ona. So I mean, but here's the thing: that if it's the case that parents, players, coaches, anybody with any direct involvement in a program can be considered recruiting i think there's going to be a lot more than we think that's every that single kid that's transferred schools yeah that's the tough thing though that's the key word that i said might get caught because as we've all said how can you prove all of this right unless there's receipts yeah and i mean it's hard like and i'm not going to get into specifics on this program but we know that there's somebody in some relation to some player that transferred to Hedgesville that was at Hedgesville last year. We know that from being there during a signing. Yep. 
So, I mean, it, you can question it all you want, but then there's some things that, well, maybe they just wanted to go there. I mean, I kids can make their own decisions. So, I mean, it's hard to tell if this happened. Or you got to have receipts for it to happen. So, obviously, the SSAC has ongoing investigations. Whatever that happens, they finish those investigations. I guess we'll let you know with what we find out and, you know, potentially see if we can get somebody on to talk about that when that happens. But that'll do it for this segment of the Sports Mix brought to you in part by Orsini's Home Store, not just appliance store any longer. Get your Traeger Grills at Orsini's at Orsini's.com or online, or excuse me, or at 360 Hack Wilson Way. You can go to Orsini's.com for more. We'll be back after this two-minute break. Have you been smoking? Uh, I can smell it. Hickory. I'm going to watch you smoke the whole pack. Shut now and save at Orsini's today. Have you been smoking? Uh, I can smell it. Hickory. I'm going to watch you smoke the whole pack. Shut now and save at Orsini's today. The Joint Commission, in conjunction with the American Stroke Association, recently awarded WVU Medicine Berkeley Medical Center advanced recertification as a primary stroke center, which signifies WVU Medicine's dedication to fostering better outcomes for patients and demonstrates that our program continues to meet critical elements to improving outcomes for stroke patients. WVU Medicine Berkeley Medical Center is committed to providing patients the highest quality stroke care in the region. Do you need a place to go for a quick tobacco, soda, snacks, cigarettes, or beer run? Well, then you're in luck, because Enter and Exit has convenience without the cost. Enter and Exit, right off Route 11, is located at 31 Meadow Lane in Martinsburg and soon to be opening in Chambersburg, PA. Enter and Exit is open Monday through Saturday from 8 a.m. to 11 p.m. and Sundays from 9.30 a.m. to 8 p.m. For great convenience without the cost, stop on into Enter and Exit today. Hi, I'm Ron Springer, head golf professional at The Woods. If you're a golfer who loves fun and competition, get your friends together and enter one of the many fundraising tournaments held at The Woods. You and your group may qualify to play in the area's premier golf event, the Tournament of Champions. The winning team will receive individual prizes as well as a cash prize for the organization they represent. For a list of qualifying tournaments, see ads in Around the Panhandle Magazine and The Journal. For a list of rules and regulations, visit thewoods.com or contact me, ron at thewoods.com. This is Eric at Hagerstown Ford. Over the last decade, the way we buy things have evolved. Now, you get on your phone, click Want It, and it shows up at your front door. At Hagerstown Ford, it is that convenient. We've changed the car buying experience on the I-81 corridor forever. And with a return policy better than Walmart, there's absolutely no reason to buy a newer used car, truck, or SUV anywhere else. Just like Amazon, Hagerstown Ford will deliver the vehicle to you, where you are and on your time. And if you don't want it, return it. No questions asked. Why waste your time at a car dealership playing the dumb back-and-forth games? Besides, we hate it more than you do. I assure you, no dealership from Winchester, Virginia to Washington, D.C. will beat our price. No dealership from Chambersburg, Pennsylvania to Baltimore, Maryland will beat our price. And no other dealership will allow you to return it if you don't want it. Hagerstown Ford absolutely provides the best experience at the best price. Visit HagerstownFord.com to schedule your VIP experience. Click on the vehicle you want and get your new ride delivered to you at no risk. See dealer for details. The Palace Lounge in Martinsburg is the place to be. Join us every night to relax and enjoy football or basketball games featuring either the Martinsburg Bulldogs, Shepherd University Rams, or West Virginia Mountaineers. We will have steak night every Wednesday, trip nights every Thursday, and now taco and margarita nights every Tuesday. You can find us on Facebook or call 304 267 the Palace Lounge is located at 1350 Edwin Miller Boulevard in Martinsburg. The hunt for the 10th state championship is almost here, and legendary head coach Dave Walker is back to lead the Bulldogs to victory. Make sure your business isn't hidden on the sideline this season. Call 304-263-6586 and become an advertiser on Talk Radio WRNR and TV10 for the 2023 Martinsburg Bulldog football season. This is the home of Martinsburg Bulldog football all season long. Again, call us at 304-263-6586 to make sure your business is scoring touchdowns and not fumbling the ball this year. You're tuned into the Sports Mix with Spencer and Nick on Talk Radio WRNR 106.5 FM, AM 740, and TV 10. 
Welcome back to this edition of the Sports Mix on Talk Radio WRNR and TV 10. Brought to you in part by Hagerstown Ford, revolutionizing the car buying experience. Go to HagerstownFord.com for more. Also by the Marius Group of Ameriprise Financial Advisors. John Everson and Phil McCoy, stop by 1270 Winchester Avenue after you've called 304-263-4343. Spencer, Nick, Colin, and Dylan, happy to have you with us here. And uh, comment section, interesting. Joe Fox says, I have the evidence on Robert Shockey, folks. I have the receipts. Go ahead, Joe. Interesting. <laughs> That's <laughs> what I say. Inter- interesting is all I got to say. I, I like the drama. Go ahead. Yeah, throwing out drama here. Uh, but uh, it was a good interview with Eric Little, WVVV. We heard him last year for the first time on our airwaves uh, when we had him on the show during the playoffs. We also aired his broadcast from WVVV of, I believe it was Park South Muscleman yep. Yep. in the playoffs. So uh, I guess we can now call him friend of the show. Second time he's come on. He was had a, he was on for three hours. Yeah, hours. it won't be the last. No, we'll have him on the beginning of uh, playoff season because we know Parkersburg South of Parkersburg will make the playoffs because I feel like they do every year. Well, somebody's got to make it, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, let's get into talking some MLB here as we ended up just rolling our brakes together here with a short amount of time left in the show, guys. Uh, the uh, We'll kind of get started here. We'll talk Nats and O's to end things, but uh, it's been an interesting week. For Wander Franco, uh, well, I think he had a walk-off home run on Saturday night. Sunday was his like hat giveaway for fourteen and under, and then it stirred up some social media. What? Nothing. Sorry, you said fourteen and under, and Wander Franco, and I just uh... no, that's what it was for. Like the legitimate thing was for it was a hat for fourteen for kids fourteen and under. Yeah, I'm just it, which it, then caused this whole which thing. Is ironic. Which is kind of ironic, right? Yes, and I don't really. He's being investigated by Dominican Republic, I believe, their authorities down there, and the MLB. Uh, but he's on like the restricted list right now. Apparently, he didn't play, and then he left the game. He was supposed to not play which i don't know if he was supposed to not play which is interesting but the fact that they still went ahead with his giveaway if they knew about it sunday morning right and is a major no-no we're kind of talking around it but in case you haven't seen the, the reason he's being investigated is seemingly that he had or has i i want to i want to say it's past tense a 14 year old girlfriend and the Dominican Republic had because I, then the, the, I believe the the girl in question is the one that's kind of like brought this to authorities. I think, but from there's some interesting levels to this because if, if it's all true, then it's interesting. But then I've read some things where he was under 18 when he was dating this girl, but she's younger now. She's 18 with a kid that's not his kid apparently, and she is wanting a car and money, and he said no, and then she brought these allegations up. I That's what I've read. I've I, read that part. I didn't see all of that, but I admittedly didn't read a ton of stuff about it. But if it's certainly concerning, and if all this stuff is true, then yeah, he's not going to play baseball again. Not in the major leagues, because the we might think, well, oh, well, what's the different culture? Like, the, the age of consent in the Dominican Republic is 18 years old. Let's not forget Carl Malone had sex with a 13-year-old. We should never forget that about Carl Malone. And he was still in the NBA. That's true. And this is still all alleged while it's the ongoing investigation, but the most recent update is a person close to the investigation says it's very unlikely that Franco will ever see time in the MLB ever again. So yeah, that came it, out it's overnight. very, very serious stuff. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, one of those one of those rare things where we can all agree that <laughs> this guy is in the wrong if this happened. Yeah, uh, but uh, that's what I saw the other day. I don't know how true what I saw was, but I did read that because I was like, I saw Wander Franco trending on Sunday, and then I saw, like, he left the game. He's not there. He didn't travel with the team. He didn't travel with the team. Then a restricted list, and I was like, what is going on? There's got to be something here. So I, that's what I read when I read it. But, again, that was, like, Monday afternoon. So I'm I'm not sure what – I haven't read too much into it since – uh, but and it becomes uh, it becomes kind of hard with stories like this yeah. when it's happening when the sort of you know this judicial process investigation that's happening is in the Dominican Republic that means that a lot of stuff that you're going to read about it might be translated from Spanish and there might be mistranslations here and there so you got to kind of be extra cautious about the way that you 
get information on this thing one way or the other you know depending on whether it would be like say downplaying uh what happened what franco did or playing it up and saying you know he did all these terrible things so either way you kind of have to be careful about how you uh, consume information on the story yeah uh but again that's an ongoing story we'll talk about here the nationals they got a win last night six to two over the red Sox. the nats hit four homers in the game including two from stone garrett a three-run shot to take the lead from caber ruiz uh, interesting stat here that improves the Nats to 54 and 67. The amount this team has exceeded expectations is definitely, I feel like, not talked about. It's talked about on our program the last week. I've kind of made, kind of brought it up a lot, but uh, they were 55 and 107 last year. If they win today, they'll equal that number from last year with over 40 games left. Without you know, they didn't do much this year. Then they traded off Candelario, and that's it. They didn't really make any other trades to trade off Lane Thomas or any of the bullpen, back end of the bullpen, which I think says a lot because I think it says how much Mike Rizzo is a very good GM because it seems like they're kind of what they're taking what they did in like 08, 09, 2010 and replicating it in 2020, 2021, 2022 and bringing that farm system back up to where it was at that point before they went on their 2012 run. Yeah, I can quickly attest to that. I agree. I I think uh, at the beginning of the season, we probably all thought that this team would be a 100-loss team again, and it looks like that won't be the case. Yeah, they'd have to be very bad over the last They probably still won't be 500. They'll be below 500. I I think if they won the rest of their games, they could go 500, but I doubt I don't see that happening. So... Oh, we ran out of time to talk about the Orioles again. Because they lost again. Exactly. We don't need to talk about it. They're bad now. The Orioles are bad. Padres got a good lineup. Caught the good pitchers. They play bad teams now. We're bad. We're good. (laughs) They're bad. We're good. All right. Well, that will do it for this edition of the Sports Mix. Thanks, Eric Little, for coming on. For Dylan Bishop, Colin McGrock, and Nick Frizzley. I'm Spencer Cruz saying so long. We'll talk to you tomorrow. You're listening to the Panhandle Leader in Sports Coverage. Talk Radio, WRNR, Martinsburg.